Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Tara Wicker was born and raised in Baton Rouge. She's African-American, Christian, and staunchly pro-life. But when she was a teenager in the 1980s, she was less sure of herself certainly less knowledgeable about abortion. At the age of 16, she became pregnant. Her boyfriend, Mike, was also 16. Tara was about eight weeks into her pregnancy when she got an abortion. I sat down with her to talk about how her life changed after that. In another story, I'll be speaking with an African-American woman who will present the pro-choice point of view. But first, we're going to begin with what Tara was feeling when she found out she was pregnant. I got really, really sick at school. And uh, I mean, I'm just, I was just really sick. And um, my sister checked me out from school because my mom worked as a teacher and she was across, across the river. My sister took me to the doctor and they were checking me out. Nobody knew why I was sick. I was just, you know, having all the, the symptoms of obviously being pregnant and just didn't know. And um, I remember they had me to take a pregnancy test. And so the lady comes out and she looks at me and she tells me that, she's pre- that I'm pregnant. And I didn't say anything. I just went silent. I didn't say anything to my sister was had her own doctor's appointment. And so I was in there by myself and I didn't say anything. And so when my sister walks back out to get me, the nurse looks at me and she says, would you like to schedule a follow up appointment with an OGBYN? And so my sister looks at me like, what do you talk? What's going on? And I told her, I said, they said that I'm pregnant. And so um, we in turn, um, had a conversation with I told Mike that I was pregnant and his response was he was an up-and-coming rising very very um, um, talented football player and I remember he said okay he said "Um, I'm gonna quit football and I'm gonna get a job and we're gonna you know work through this and I remember at that moment feeling the worst feeling of just um, I don't know how to explain it other than um, just guilt. Because I remember thinking, you know, not only have I interrupted in, 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 at that moment as a 16-year-old thinking messed up my life, I'm like, but man, I've also messed up his life and his future. And so I told my mom, I did not know at that time that there had been a history of, um, of abortions in my family because we never, there, abortion was never a conversation. No one ever talked about it. And, um, and my mom asked me kind of, what do you want to do? And I, I was just, I didn't know. I, so I was kind of silent and blank. And I just remember saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I want it. I don't know what to do. And, um, and she said, she looks at me and she says, well, okay, we'll take it. We'll take care of it. When your mother said, we're going to take care of it. How did you process that? We're going to take care of the baby or we're going to just take care of this situation, meaning that the abortion would, would happen. Did, did abortion even pop into your mind? I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, and I think often think back, I, I felt so um, powerless at that moment because I, I was very unsure. I was very uncertain. I didn't know what it meant. And, and I didn't really know what her intents were. And I've never had this conversation with anyone. So you're the first, but 
um, on this particular piece of the story. I remember, because my sister got pregnant when she was 19. And so my mom was under a lot of tremendous pressure because we came from a, you know, a Christian family and you know, just the whole nine yards of, of that whole totality of that situation. And I remember thinking back now, just the pressure that she was under by having one daughter that had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And now, oh my gosh, here I am, the second one. And I remember um, we were in the living room and we didn't talk about it, but I knew that what she was trying to do was to force me to have a miscarriage. And so she had me to um, pick up a sofa. Like she picked up one side of the sofa and I picked up the other side of the sofa. And so she intentionally put most of the pressure on me so that I could lift this heavy sofa in an attempt to cause me to have um, a miscarriage because obviously when you're pregnant you there's certain things you are supposed to do and not supposed to do and I think that was her attempt of trying to um, force me to have a miscarriage and so um, it didn't work um, and in my conversation with my sister um, I think there were several attempts on, with her to try to get her to kill her baby as well um, they were going to make her drink Epsom salt and just do all these things that would cause damage to the baby. And, How um, did you view your mother after that? And knowing the experience with your sister, but also you after that, did you view your mother differently? I didn't. Um, I put it apparently on this shelf that I didn't even know existed emotionally. I just didn't even think about it. Um, I think in her mind, she was thinking that she was doing something that would be helpful to help her daughters. Not long after that, Tara's mother took her to a clinic in her neighborhood. We went to the Delta abortion clinic at that time. It was on Acadian, which is right in the heart of um, what we call Eden Park or the park. It was a black neighborhood. And um, and so right there on, Eden, on Acadian, and um, like I said, that day we drove in, there was no one there. and. Um, sort of my next recollection is um, going through the process, going through the procedure. There was no conversation, there was nothing, and going through the procedure and then the aftermath of the procedure. Um, and I tell young girls all the time now that I'm having this conversation, I said, if anyone would have told me remotely about what was going to happen, the feeling, the actual uh, violence of the event itself, um, I know in my heart that my baby would have been alive today. But um, I remember laying on the table and, you know, the best thing that I can t tell a young lady, the best description that I can have, and this is literally what it feels like, it feels like someone attaches a vacuum cleaner to your bottom and they turn it on and it sucks everything out. And it's the, it's the most horrific feeling of, uh, of death that you I felt literally like, um, a death was occurring, like something was dying. And um, I remember after everything happened, there was no comfort, no conversation, nothing. It was just kind of, and I remember the doctor, when they found out that I was two months, he made kind of a real kind of snickering comment, um, like, um, you know, well, you know, in other words, that's what happens when you do that. It was really, he was really kind of not very nice about it. 
What was he referring to when he do that? I think he was he was because I, I remember maybe my mom was having saying that I didn't know. Oh, I remember her telling him that this was the first time that I'd ever had sex, and so they were trying to determine how far along I was. And I remember him being a little what what appeared to me um, angry, and um, he said, "Well, yeah, that's you know that's what happens when you when you're when you're when you do those kinds of things or something like that." But I knew what he was talking about was you know this is what you deserve because you were out there you know having sex, and so um, and so you know the procedure happened and. You know, as horrible as that process was, I know that this doctor did something that was, I think, was unusual. I don't know because I haven't talked to many women yet that have gone through it about their experience. But he did something that was weird, but it helped me tremendously. Um, he left out the room, and I'm laying on the the, the table um, by myself, completely just alone. And I remember turning my head to the right. And when I turned my head to the right, there was a clear plastic container and, um, and my baby was sitting there in that clear plastic container. And um, I remember crying and I remember looking at the baby and the only words that I could say was, mommy, so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I knew at that moment that I had done something that I will regret the rest of my life. And um, so, um, interestingly enough, years later, I looked, I was doing something where I was looking at my um, birth certificate. And I remember the doctor's name that had performed the abortion. And... Um, it was the, the, the doctor that performed the abortion was the exact same doctor that had um, given, that, that delivered me at, at, when I was a baby. And so it was just, it was, you know, it was a lot. And so for 30 years, I put that moment away like it didn't exist in my life. You compartmentalized it. Yep, I did. And I put it over there as if it had never happened. So I never talked about it. Mike and I never had the conversation. I remember telling him, you know, in the words of my mom, when I did talk back to him, I remember telling him, because um, we were, I guess, he was starting to have a conversation kind of about what we were going to do. And I said, well, you don't have to worry about that. I said, I took care of it. And he was like, what do you mean you took care of it? And so I remember telling him what had happened and um, that I had had the abortion and I remember him um, very silent on the phone, but I could also sense that he was tremendously sad. And so that was it, and we never talked about it again. For 30 years? For 30 years. We never talked about it. It wasn't until 2019, at a pro-life rally in Baton Rouge, that Tara publicly spoke about her abortion. In January of this year, she became the head of the Louisiana Black Advocates for Life. Abortion rates in the U.S. historically have been highest among African-American women. We discussed how the overturning of Roe v. Wade could affect that particular community. I mean, do you think that somehow this is going to make difficulties on the lives of black and brown women? Yeah, no, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I'm a firm believer. And like I said, walking through the realities that, you know, that, that little person inside of you is a person um, and it's life. 
Um, and I just was completely unprepared and completely unaware. I just didn't have the information and the messaging. And so I think now it's really important to get that message out more clearly. I think that pro-life, the pro-life movement now gives people options. And I keep going back. I said, if I would have known that there was an option for me other than just murdering my baby, my baby would have been here. But there was not enough people at that time and place to say, hey, you don't have to kill your baby. So I think that pro-life, the pro-life movement is really opening the door for people to understand that number one, that little baby is a human life that's really, you know, is being incubated and housed by the mom, but that little baby has its own set of DNA. It has its own its own body and um and also has the the right to live. And so I don't think that the pro life movement is hindering anything at all. I think that what it's what it's doing now um is really opening up the understanding and the idea that there's another option, there's another way. You don't have to either be coerced or, or think that murdering your baby is the only option that you have, even as it relates to economics. And, you know, that's that's just such a confusing message to me because right now you have so many children that are living in impoverished situation or, or situations or even maybe living in um, situations where they've been abused and things of that sort, but no one thinks, okay, well, they're living in a hard situation, so the best option for them is just to be dead than to be alive. And you think about all of the people that have overcome obstacles. I myself, coming from a, a, a really challenging single single um, single mom home, or, or other individuals, not you know that that have been um, that have overcome the odds of living in extreme poverty and all those things that go along with the decision like, oh, well, we're poor, so you don't have the option to live. Um, I, I have a real difficult time understanding how do we lessen the value of someone's life based on an economic decision. Can you see how other women might disagree with this? I mean, they can understand and they can view and they can hear your story that you had a particular, in, by your description, horrible experience with abortion, but yet another woman might have a different experience and come out on the other side and say that, that was the right choice for me. I can't imagine that every woman who's had an abortion feels the same way as you. Right. Do you see the other side of it at all? Is there any middle ground where you understand woman to woman that you know every case is different right I mean I understand from the moment when they're faced with that decision what's hard for me to understand now is uh is the making of that decision so at that moment um you know again thinking that there were no other options available that was a decision that was made and so my my whole motivation now is to make sure that Every woman that's out there knows and understands the reality. And even though, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to oversimplify that you have women that go through an abortion and they are able to emotionally disattach themselves and, and maybe not be affected. I, I tend to think that that's virtually impossible. Uh, I think that once you go through an abortion, there is that hole. I don't care how you know, how hard emotionally you may be or how, you know, women may feel like they're so angry in that moment and feel justified to make that decision. Once you go through that process and you feel that death happening and occurring, that death sticks with you forever. Tara and Mike stayed together, got married, and went on to have six children. I am, for the first time in my life, um, have become alive. Uh, 
there had been a part of me um, making up the totality of the person that I am because I think that to um, compensate for um, what I did as a 16-year-old, for me to be able to make up for the things that um, I carried in terms of what um, my baby would have been, um, the life that he would have had. Um, I think that now in my life, I'm finally becoming alive. So all the things, not that any of those things didn't have value, but I think that I did a lot of things in my life to compensate for the lack of the failure that I had. To me, that was the absolute biggest failure in my life. So you'll fill your life up with other stuff that seems to matter, um, to be the best at everything that you possibly can be because you still carry this tremendous amount of out of the jump. I was the, the biggest failure. And that's a hard thing to try to overcome. And like I said, I had compartmentalized it, compartmentalized it and, and put it over on the side. And I thought about it and just kind of like, okay, no, you, you, you just be successful at any cost. You be successful. And the reality of it is I knew in my knower that at some point in time I, I needed to face the reality of that failure, allow myself to be healed from it, and then use that failure in my life to help other people not go down that road. And so for me, for the first time in my life, I'm finally feeling like I'm alive. I finally feel like I'm real. Um, and I don't have, you know, hidden things that I have to hide to say, you know, this is what I did. Um, and so now I'm in a position of being able just to help others not have to walk through that pain. Tara says her Christian faith and the pro-life movement go hand in hand. She believes there can be no exceptions made for abortion, including in cases of rape or incest. Our next conversation will be with a woman whose work is dedicated to the pro-choice movement. This is Tan Trung for WWL Radio.
So, yeah. Tara, thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you. your time and thank you for sharing your experience and your story. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for the opportunity.